Let's sip coffee and talk pharmacy. Welcome back to another episode of Pharmacy and Coffee. To our returning listeners, thank you so much for your continuing support. And if you're new to this channel, welcome. This is a pharmacy-based podcast where we, the pharmacists, discuss a variety of topics from which we hope to educate, motivate, and inspire, as well as move our profession forward. I'm your co-host, Dr. Monique Derio, and with me are my co-hosts, Dr. Farouz Siraj and Dr. Teskia Hassan. As always, we are a group of Canadian community pharmacists located in different parts of BC, bringing you a cup of knowledge. Our topic today is the age-old question, what's better, brand name drug or generic equivalents? Are there any differences? Yeah, those are a really good question, and I'm sure this is something that uh, we all came across from time to time in the pharmacy as both pharmacists and patients as well. So that's why in this episode, uh, we'll try to bust the following common myths around brand and generic name drugs and give you the right information to make the informed decision for yourselves. So myths can include one, brand is better than generic. Two, Generics are knockoffs. And three, if it costs more, of course it must be better. So before we get into busting these myths, we'll have to go over some definitions of a brand name drug and its generic equivalent. Then we'll discuss how generic equivalents are approved for sale on the market here in Canada. All right, so why don't we start talking uh, about brand name drugs and their patents. So a brand name drug medication has a trade name and is protected by patents. This means that it can only be produced and sold only by the company that holds that patent. It's usually the first medication that comes onto the market. Patents can apply to the chemical in the medication or special features like protective coating, time release mechanisms, and other such features. Sometimes the word brand gets a little confusing to patients. I like to tell patients to imagine there's never been any sneakers before. Sneakers haven't hit the market yet. Then Nike appears. In this scenario, Nike is the first sneaker company ever and they proudly have a patent for their product. So why patent? Well, it can cost up to an average of $1.1 billion to make a new drug. That is a lot of money for a private company to shell out on a product before it even hits the market. Realistically speaking, no one would be willing to put that much money into the development of a product if there was no safety net, right? Any kind of guarantee that they will be able to break even. So going back to our shoe scenario, Nike has put billions into making their new shoe. Imagine they had no patent. They go to launch, but then a disgruntled ex-employee releases a line of Nike knockoffs for a tenth of the price. The no-name sneakers. <laughs> this would completely undermine Nike. Their product wouldn't sell. They're already over a billion dollars in debt, and suddenly they can't sell their product to recoup their costs. In this scenario, Nike would go bankrupt. So that's why patents are important. Patents allow drug companies market exclusivity for a set period of time, allowing them some time to recoup the cost of development and keep them in business. In Canada, that time is 20 years long. Now that may seem like a really long time, but you have to remember that 20 years is also including the time for research, development, and all of the clinical trials. Yeah, that's uh, well said and explained. Good job there, Tiskia. Um, so 
What about generic drugs? What is a generic drug? Well, a generic drug is a pharmaceutical equivalent of the brand name drug made by a different company. It contains the identical medicinal ingredient in the same amount and in the similar dosage form. Generic medications are intentionally created to be the same as an already marketed brand name drug. They're in the same uh, area as the safety, route of administration, quality, performance, and characteristics use, and also intended use as well. So generic medications may have different non-medicinal ingredients than the brand name drug, but the company must show that these do not affect the safety, efficacy, or quality of the drug compared to the brand name drug. For example, these things can be fillers, colors, etc. So there may be many generic versions of the same brand name drug out there, and they are usually available at a much lower cost. Okay, so how do we know that they work in the same way as brand name drugs do? Well, in order uh, to come onto the Canadian market, generic drugs have to prove that they do the same thing or they are, as we say, bioequivalent to the brand name drug that's already in the market. I'm glad that we talked a little bit about confidence intervals in the uh, Let's Talk About Stats Baby <laughs> episode. Uh, if you missed that, go back for a refresher because we're jumping right into the science of bioequivalence. Uh, for a generic drug to prove bioequivalence, Health Canada requires that a sample of usually about 30 to 70 individuals be given a dose of the brand name drug. Then the concentration of what's absorbed is measured. This test is repeated with the new generic drug in question with the exact same people. This is a match pair design, meaning each subject is its own control group. And this is really cool because it reduces any possible variation. So using these drug concentrations, they then take these numbers to figure out how the generic drug compares to the brand name. 90% confidence intervals of the drug concentrations are graphed against each other as bell-shaped curves and plotted. Uh, the entire confidence interval has to fit within very hard set limits. For most drugs, that's a range of 80 to 125% of the brand name. So it's got a little bit below, a little bit above, giving it a little bit of wiggle room. Uh, for more sensitive or critical dose drugs, those limits are narrowed and they go from 90 to 112%. Uh, so examples of normal drugs, guys? Yeah, so normal drugs, let's say atorvastatin or its brand name Lipitor. So another one would be uh, Ramipril, for example, or its brand name Altaze. Um, so yeah, those would be kind of normal drugs. Uh, what about examples of critical drugs? So there we would have uh, drugs like digoxin, for example, or um, warfarin, which is a blood thinner. And, you know, we want to be really careful about um, the limits that we set on those because a little bit on or off there could be, have large consequences. So we want to be really careful about how we go about approving those drugs. Mm -hmm. So you want the limits to be That's much right. tighter. Yeah. So when they, they plot those generic drugs versus the brand name, if the generic drug's bell-shaped curve isn't within those hard set limits or even, even just gently grazes one of those limits, it's it's out. It's completely out. And um, as a side note, the that small sample size actually works in favor of the science and safety of Canadians here. Uh, usually with studies, you hear of sample sizes of hundreds, thousands of participants. 
here we're only looking at 30 to 70 and that's the minimum required to actually physically create some bell-shaped curves using the field of statistics called t-tests. Uh, small sample sizes create short, squat, fat, bell-shaped curves. So imagine a bell-shaped curve in your hand and or in your head and taking your finger and squashing the top of it down a little bit. The, the tails or the ends, they get fatter, they get wider, and a fatter curve makes it even more likely that it'll hit one of those hard limits. And so using a smaller sample size, you get a fatter bell-shaped curve and it makes it more likely to weed out any generic drug that isn't comparable in bioequivalence. Nice, that's really well explained. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, when you look at the numbers, overall studies have shown that the actual variance between generics and brands is an average of about 3 to 4%. Uh, to put that into perspective, uh, different batches of the same drug made at the same company are allowed to have that same amount of variation. The bottom line is that there are regulations and tests in place to ensure that the generic drugs must show bioequivalence to the brand name drug before they are granted permission for sale. Thank goodness for that. So now that we understand what a brand name drug is, what a generic drug is, and the process that allows generics to be sold, let's talk a little bit about why some patients prefer brand name drugs to the generics. So now, what are some perceptions or misconceptions that people can have about brands which leads them to prefer brand name drugs over generics? Well, a few things can influence patients to believe this. For example, the marketing of non-drug brand products will affect our perception of actual drug brands, right? So the use of the terms brand versus generic inherently causes our minds to link them to the terms real versus knockoffs. As per our previous example, this would also equate to the Nike versus the no-name sneakers. I like using the handbag metaphor. We are so used to thinking of how brand name purses like Gucci or Louis Vuitton are the real thing and that there are always tons of knockoffs on the market that are of poorer quality, thus less desirable. However, drug marketing doesn't work like the marketing of purses. Knockoff Gucci doesn't need to go through the testing process to prove that it is the same quality as the original brand. Anyone can create a knockoff and sell it. As we mentioned previously, generic drugs go through rigorous testing to prove equivalency in order to be successfully approved to be marketed to the public. Keep in mind that this is true of developed countries where such standards are upheld by the law. In more developing countries, it is likely that knockoffs exist because stricter laws to control marketing and distribution of drugs just don't exist yet. Here in Canada and the USA and other Western countries, we are protected by health authorities. So just to give a little example of how, you know, this kind of non-drug marketing can affect our thoughts, I think of my dad as a number one brand name customer. Since the beginning of time, he only bought brand name drugs. He really truly believed of no fault of his own that brand name drugs were superior to generics, like he was buying the Gucci of medications. And honestly, this was probably very likely influenced by the fact that he he grew up in Bangladesh, a developing country where knockoff drugs are, in fact, sold without any regulation. So because of what he thought, most of my life, I grew up thinking that generics were of lower quality as well. 
And then I started pharmacy school and learned about what actual process, you know, generic drugs need to go through and what how they actually differ from brand name drugs. And so that's when I changed my mind. And I think I may have finally convinced dad that generics are not knockoffs that you buy on Canal Street in New York City. Uh, And then other than that, I think another influence that patients often face when choosing brand or generic when offered that choice is that they'll say, I want what my doctor, what my doctor wrote. And what patients often don't realize is that physicians often only know the drug by its brand or generic name because that's the name that they learned in medical school, not necessarily because they just prefer brand name. Mm-hmm. So they, they only learned one of the names instead of having to That's right. So they might have learned, I don't know, Altace for their blood pressure medication instead of Ramipril, but that's just what they'll write on the prescription because it's easy and they don't have time to waste. Um, so I guess it's clear that like social and personal beliefs and experiences can influence patients, um, like lead them to have misconceptions about brand and generic equivalents. But guys, what about us? What about the healthcare professionals? How are we influenced? Well, I know in Canada that there are strict regulations for advertisement directly to public. Like for example, drug reps can't, they're actually not allowed to talk to patients directly. Um, But this doesn't actually apply to healthcare professionals like ourselves. So I would have to say personally, I think we can be influenced by drug reps and companies directly because they can advertise directly to us. Um, And what most of these drug reps do, they come visit pharmacies or prescribers offices like your family doctor's offices. Uh, when it comes down to pharmacists, we get invited to educational talks where there are lunches or dinners um, and they will give us information about, um, you know, drug trials and basically their spiel about why their drug is better than the other drug in the um, in the market at the moment. So drug reps are actually not allowed to give incentives to pharmacies or pharmacists and they can't give uh, pharmacies or pharmacists samples. However, that's kind of a little bit different when it comes to physicians. Um, They usually get uh, samples to give out to their patients to try. Um, And the other thing is that they do get offered lunches and dinners a little bit better compared to what we get in my experience. Um, And I've heard about other things like uh, uh, drug rep sponsoring golf tournaments for physicians as well, Um, which is which is cool. But yeah, so that's kind of the biggest influence we get uh, as healthcare professionals when it comes down to medications. So I guess bottom line, uh, because we are drug experts, we learn about interchangeability of drugs. And for that reason, as pharmacists, we are more comfortable with these kind of changes between brand and generics uh, compared to other healthcare professionals. Okay, so now that we have more information about brand and generic equivalents, let's discuss the barriers to generic prescribing. As we mentioned already, one of the biggest barriers that we have, like a potential barrier to generic prescribing is patient's preference. They, yeah, a lot of patients have misconception about, again, what a brand name drug and generic equivalent would be comparing to them. So misconceptions can be that um, we... So we went into details about this earlier when we discussed how people equate brand versus generic to real versus knockoff. 
So that's one of the biggest misconceptions that a lot of patients have um, and that leads them to opt out for the brand name drug. Uh, for physician preferences, there are many scenarios in which uh, physicians will prescribe a certain brand or generic based on side effect patients experience or possible differences they believe to exist based on their personal practice. Um, these scenarios are often highly individualized for different patients and require the physician to be uh, to specify their choice by indicating no substitution and their physician initials. Handwritten, handwritten right. initials. Prescriptions that are faxed over and that will say no substitutions, but it still has to have their initials beside it to make it legit. Um, so other potential uh, barriers to generic prescribing would be side effects. Um, so sometimes based on the non-medicinal ingredients, like as we explained, like fillers and colors, some patients might have different side effects um, to various brands and generics. Um, by trialing the various available brands, patients can determine which brand or generic they may have a uh, side effect to or they may tolerate better. So for example, I had patients who will say, I have tried uh, this Teva brand and it doesn't work. I have tried the Oro brand, the Apo brand, and those are all generic brands. Um, and then they will find one that will be better for them, that they can tolerate better. And that is most likely not because of the actual main ingredient, but due to the fillers and colors, et cetera, and binders in there too. All right, moving on to recalls and shortages. Recalls and shortages. Our favorite barrier right now. God. Uh, so these are extremely important in the small, like the, the pharmaceutical industry in Canada is, is small. And so whenever one of these happen, it really affects uh, patients, unfortunately. Uh, starting with shortages, uh, so when the manufacturers just can't make the drug and get it to the pharmacies, and uh, this is extremely common for this to happen. When one brand or generic goes on short supply, we often need to switch patients around to a different brand or generic if, if they're okay with it, uh, so that people don't go without any medication and have any negative outcomes. This isn't always possible, though. Uh, a recent example is... Uh, Miro 128 ointment. This is a medication that is used to treat um, a swelling of a particular part of the eye, uh, corneal edema. Uh, and it was very frustrating just telling patients, we don't have it. We don't know when it's coming in. The manufacturer doesn't know when it's coming in. Nobody knows when it's coming in. I'm sorry. And just seeing the frustration on their face. Uh, just when people realize that... You, Drug shortages happen all the time now in Canada. Uh, I checked on the site today, drugshortagescanada.ca, and there was a total of, dated today, 1,541 drug shortages in Canada at the moment. That's, That's crazy. And yeah, we're definitely yeah. dealing with shortages right now. And, you know, it's hard to explain because patients will wonder, how do you not know when it's coming? Like, how does the manufacturer themselves not know? when it's coming back and it's always a fun conversation to have people really need something mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's difficult and yeah we'll leave it at that i guess yeah uh, so the next thing was uh, recalls 
Um, so recall is when the drug company tells the pharmacy, send us all of this product back to us. There's something wrong with it. Uh, it could be something like contamination. Uh, so just like with shortages, pharmacists then have to scramble to switch patients around to an alternative so that patients can still have a steady supply of the, of the medication until the manufacturer is able to sort out their problems and be able to get the, the drug out into the pharmacies again. Yeah. So one fun situation that happened over the last year was Zantac. Zantac was recalled. Yep. So everybody was switched to ranitidine when we thought that ranitidine, the generic, was okay. Then we found out the generic was not okay. Mm -hmm. So then that was recalled and everybody had to be switched to a completely different type of medication um, in the same family, usually like cimetidine. There were so many people switched to cimetidine that cimetidine started shorting yeah so then everybody was switched to famotidine which then started shorting <laughs> oh, yeah the struggle but hey we got through it kind of kind of <laughs> yeah and, and now renidine's back on uh, the market yeah thank god and then i guess we can move on to cost differences which is another barrier to prescribing certain drugs for example now it should be stated that there can often be a large um difference in cost between brands and generics how much of a difference well it just depends on the drug it can vary widely most insurance companies will usually pay up to the cost of the generic drug and then the remainder gets passed on to the patient so for example if you wanted a one month supply of the cholesterol medication resuvastatin well for the generic you would probably be paying about five dollars say but for the brand name Crestor, a one month supply would be around maybe $45. That's like a nine times more expensive version. So just goes to show you that there can be quite a significant jump. And, you know, for a lot of people, that might be an issue, which was why they might opt for the generic. So in order to promote the brand name drugs, some companies can sometimes offer drug cards that cover most of that difference. So patients might only be responsible for an even smaller cost. However, there are issues with some of these cards. For example, they might only cover it for the first fill of the medication or for a more limited supply, or you might have to even register online with that company. So personally, I do mm -hmm. find that I face a lot of issues when patients come back a year later and find out that the card is no longer valid, or when the patient comes back to pick up their medication saying that their doctor said it would be fully covered because of that drug card, but it is not. The joys of billing. Like we love it when you have to pay less because of these cards, but these cards can be very particular. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a short example. Um, Concerta, the brand name drug, has a brand uh, covering card. They cover the difference of it. Now, if you bill it and the company th that covers the cost does an audit and finds a problem with how you're billing it, for example, if there is no interval or something, they can actually ask for you to reimburse that um, the cost difference, meaning they can claw back the difference. Yeah, the joys of billing. So, I mean, as you can see, there are many barriers that are both real and perceived as to why generics may not be prescribed. And now that we've reviewed these common misconceptions, Let's dive into the differences between brand and generics that actually can matter. So we talked a little bit earlier about the difference between uh, active versus inactive ingredients in the medication. 
So generic medications, they do not have to be exactly the same as the brand when it comes to every single ingredient. I mean, they have to have the same amount of the active ingredient, the actual medication itself. But they can have different fillers, colors, maybe they're slightly different size, maybe they're a different flavor. Uh, as long as it doesn't affect how the medication does its actual job, like that bioequivalence issue, there's a little bit of room for flexibility. Um, so like we touched on a little bit earlier, some people can have genuine reactions to fillers to certain medications, but this is extremely rare. Uh, especially when you consider all of the drug shortages that are going on in Canada at the moment and patients are switched back and forth between generics all the time. Uh, so taking that into consideration, have either of you actually had a patient who has had an allergic reaction to a filler mm -hmm. before? Yeah, I have definitely run into that situation where a patient will be very cautious about which uh, brand or generic they're getting because in the past they have had an allergic reaction to one of the dyes or colors in the particular medication. Um, so they always have to make sure to avoid that one in order to be safe. All right, so let's move on to some other medications in which... Um things cannot be switched around between generic and brand without first considering some very important issues. Mm -hmm. The first um, class of medications where you can't just switch them around are what we call the critical dose or narrow therapeutic range drugs. These are drugs where basically there is a very small window where the dose of the drug will do its job but does it safely? And we touched on this earlier as well. So anything outside of this small window can have very catastrophic consequences. So when we spoke earlier, we had mentioned where like the confidence intervals for drugs in who, that are narrow therapeutic range drugs would fall between, I believe, 90 and 112%. Is that right, Monique? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, so examples of drugs like that would be cyclosporin, digoxin, flecainide, lithium, phenytoin, sirolimus, tacrolimus, theophylline, and warfarin, as we mentioned. So Health Canada sets very different standards for these medications because it does make a difference. And bioequivalence requirements for critical dose drugs will be much stricter than for other drugs. So going a little bit further and exploring, let's say, cyclosporin, for example. This is a medication that's used to prevent the rejection of transplanted organs, such as the liver, lungs, or kidney. It has a very narrow therapeutic index for that reason. Research has followed patients that are switching to and between generics of the cyclosporin. So it is possible to do, but it is very much advised that this be done with close supervision and approval of the prescriber. Okay, so uh, another class of medications that cannot be interchanged is insulin. Yep, that's right. So insulin, as you might know, are used by diabetics to help control their blood sugar. Um, it helps to direct the sugar into the body cells. Um, and there are many types of insulins out there. Um, today, I'll be just using the Glargine, which is a basal insulin, as an example. So Glargine in the Canadian market, there are two available um, names. So the brand name, which is Lantus, and then the Basoglar, which is its technical equivalent. Now, Basoglar and Lantus are not automatically interchangeable, um, and it has to do with how these insulins are made. So the insulin Glargine um, is a biologic drug 
uh, that is made using biotechnology. It comes from living organisms or, or their cells. So they are complex and large molecules and their chemical, biological, and microbiological properties are dependent on the manufacturing processes. Since Lantus and Basiglar are made by different companies using different processes or processes, they cannot be exact copies of each other. So Basiglar is therefore referred to not as a generic, but a biosimilar. Um, it's not exact, but again, similar, hence the name, biosimilar. Although they do the same exact thing, we can't really say they're identical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next medication we wanted to talk gen- or just a little bit about is clozapine. Uh, clozapine is a psychiatric medication that is used to restore a balance of neurotransmitters in the brain. It's often used in treatment-resistant schizophrenia. Uh, in Canada, patients on clozapine are enrolled through their doctor in a brand-specific monitoring program. Uh, so the manufacturers of the drug actually track the patient's clozapine usage and the health effects. Sounds kind of sketch, but this is really important for this particular medication. Uh, One of the side effects of this medication that is tracked very carefully is called agranulocytosis. It's a blood disorder where the number of white blood cells can decrease significantly. Uh, This particular side effect makes these patients extremely susceptible to infection. So it's important to monitor. Yeah, so with this medication, it's absolutely paramount not to just randomly switch between different generics or different companies. The company or the brand that they're currently set up with, since they track and monitor the patient's blood results, um, you, you can't just like switch back and forth between the two. But if you have to switch for some reason, like there's a drug shortage or a recall or whatever, the physician must register the patient in the new um, registry-specific program prior to any dispensing so that safety monitoring can be ensured. All right, now on to another very interesting scenario. This is Concerta versus its generic, the extended release methylphenidate. Concerta is an extended release formulation of the methylphenidate that's used to treat ADHD. There has been some concern about the generic made by Teva. This is a relatively new issue, so there weren't many studies specific to the Canadian market. We did find one from 2017, published in the Clinical Therapeutics by Park Wiley et al. The main issue concerns the drug's delivery mechanism, meaning how the pill physically releases the medication into the body. Concerta has a very special shell with laser-drilled holes that slowly release the medication at a constant rate. This shell cannot be crushed nor chewed. Meanwhile, the Teva version of the methylphenidate extended release medication can be crushed. It has been found to peak sooner in the blood, so at 4.6 hours versus 7.6 hours for Concerta. It was also observed to wear off sooner, with 64.3% of cases experiencing loss of efficacy by the afternoon. The Teva version was found to have a tenfold higher rate of therapeutic failure, of which 72.1% occurred within the first week of switching. So this is an interesting case. The Teva version was shown to have bioequivalence, but this didn't actually translate to equal therapeutic effect. 
So if a patient reports any strange side effects or failure of therapy following the switch to the generic from the brand, make sure to fill out the adverse event reporting form so that Health Canada is informed of it. Okay, I guess the last class that are not interchangeable is methadone. So that's metadol versus methadose. So methadone is an opioid primarily used to help treat addiction to other narcotics uh, or opioids. In 2014, BC changed the type of methadone being covered by certain plans uh, from one that had to be compounded, mean made in the pharmacy, to one that was already uh, made and ready to be dispensed, which is the methadose. A 2016 study found that 50% of patients who made the switch saw a reduced effect. Huh. They found that the new formulation didn't last as long and withdrawal would set in before their next dose. Um, this medication is used as an opioid replacement uh, and going into withdrawal pushes these patients to start using illicit source of drugs because withdrawal from opioids can be very painful and nobody actually would want to face uh, the experience of withdrawal. So methadone in particular is a racemic structure, meaning that the drug can twist one way or the other way. The direction the molecule is set to twist will influence how it interacts with receptors in the body. The one that twists uh, left or right can have different uh, properties. So for example, the one that twists left uh, has a analgesic uh, property that is 8 or 50 times more potent, meaning it is more... Um, has a painkiller property to it. The one that twists right uh, prevents reuptake of serotonin and norepinephrine. So that can have more of a euphoric effect. The bioequivalent measures how much the total drug gets into the body, but not the properties of the racemic mixture. As such, the different formulations of methadone may have different amounts of the left or the right twisting methadone affecting the receptors in different ways. So this could account for the difference in effects between the methadose and the metadol D. Now, patients cannot be switched between these two formulations unless specified in writing on the prescription. Special authority is required in BC for coverage for metadol D. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Well, I guess from all the different examples that we've put out there, you might be seeing that there's actually a very small set of brands and generics that should not be interchanged willy-nilly, but each set has specific reasons as to why it should not be done. And and you know what? As, as healthcare providers, if a patient does say um, that, they are that they are having some sort of a side effect, um, let's listen to it. Let's ask a couple of more questions to really find out what it could be. Exactly. We want to make sure that our patients are doing well and being treated accurately and appropriately first and foremost. It's very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in conclusion to this episode, let's get back to our myth busting. Myth number one, brand is better than generic. Dun, 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 dun. False. Now number two, generic is fake. Ding, 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 ding. False. And myth number three. If it costs more, then it must be better. Ding, 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 ding. False. 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 That was fun. <laughs> that was way more fun than it had to be. <laughs> uh, so there we have it. If you thought of something that we didn't include in this episode, let us know. Send us an email at 
pharmacynncoffee at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and thank you to my co-hosts for their help researching this episode. Uh, Stay tuned to our socials for further episodes, and y'all stay safe out there. Well, there you have it. It's been a latte fun. Hope you were well caffeinated. Thank you for listening, and if you found this episode helpful, please share. For any feedback, please email us at pharmacyandcoffee at gmail.com. And remember, this podcast is intended for educational purposes. For any personalized medical advice, please see your pharmacist. And for my community pharmacists out there, you have the skills and the knowledge to make a difference. So don't be a pill barista. 